Welcome to the Confident Close Her podcast, the podcast where we help established online coaches, consultants, and sellers master human behavior sales techniques, break free from the dated, ineffective, and just plain wrong sales strategies, create radical revenue leaps, and break through to multi six and seven figures. I'm your host, Ann Keeney, and my mission is to teach online high performing female coaches and sellers how to win at the game of sales using selling techniques that work with human behavior. Because we know that a business that doesn't make plenty of money is a dying business. So take off those boxing gloves, stop fighting for your sales, because in 30 minutes or less, I'll show you how to pour rocket fuel onto your strategies, pull in way more profit, and close up to 90% of your sales, authentically, humanely, and consistently. Let's get down to business. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. All right, on the Confident Close Her podcast today, I wanna talk, I actually wanna take you guys on a little journey, and I wanna talk about your how your subconscious in your sales correlate. Okay, how your, let's say your sales in your business, how does your subconscious correlate directly with those results or lack thereof? And I wanted to share this, I was inspired to share because I myself have been, you know, uh, just doing some, I mean, I'm always doing personal development work, but I've been working really deeply on just <clears throat> some of the things that, you know, <clears throat> for myself personally that I'm, I'm working on, um, and, you know, I just, I, I broke through a few things and I just, it was just some aha, really light bulb moments for me that brought a lot of things together. And I, I kind of wanted to just talk the surface about this a little bit. I think this could be a multi-level conversation, maybe more podcast episodes on this, but I want to take you guys on a little journey and I want to kind of take you through what my process and my journey has looked like over the last, you know, 20 years or so. Um, and, and I want to kind of bring together how your, how my, and how your sales success or how your, um, you know, the success in your business directly correlates with your subconscious. And so I want to talk a little bit about conscious and subconscious, but I just want to kind of walk you guys through a little journey and you're going to kind of see how it flows right into what we're talking about today. But for many of you who have followed me, you probably have, if you've listened to my podcast, you probably have a pretty good idea of who I am, where I come from and what my story is, uh, what my, you know, DNA, <laughs> uh, kind of looks like. And, um, I'll sum it up really quickly for those of you who might be new to the podcast, but um, I was born into um, foster the foster care system. Um, I had, you know, parents that just were not uh, capable at the time of raising me and taking care of me. And so immediately I was placed into foster homes. Um, you know, back then they were, they were horrible, horrible. Uh, it was just a horrible foster care system. I was placed in probably the worst homes you could ever be placed in. And I went through about eight of them before I turned nine. So I went through a lot of foster homes. I was bounced around a lot. I never really stayed in one place for more than a few months, probably. Uh, I mean, maybe a year, but I don't even think so. Um, each, each and every one had their own little unique way of 
abuse of me. Rather, it was physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or all of the above. And every home had a different experience, but the one experience they all had was abuse. And so, you know, go in and kind of enter in life into a situation where you're malnourished, you're, you know, locked in rooms for two, three, four days, and no one ever unlocks the door. No one ever comes in to give you water. No one comes in to feed you. No one comes in to let you go to the bathroom. Like, um, you know, being um, held down and, um, you know, having hot boiled butter poured over cuts and sores and, you know, the family sitting around holding you down laughing. Like, you know, I mean, I could, you know, forced to eat my own vomit. If I, if I got sick, my punishment was you're going to now eat it. And I mean, I could go on and on. I was molested from age three and on, uh, by just various men and different people in different ways. Um, it was quite traumatic. So that was kind of my childhood. Um, that is how I was brought into this world. That was my experience. And that was my existence for about, I would say, you know, around age eight, um, my, I was adopted by my great aunt and I had been in her home many, many times over my life because every time they switched foster homes, uh, every time they would move me in between the move or the transition, I would go, they would place me at her house and I would stay there until the next foster place opened up. And so I just kind of like that was this probably the safest place that I was put in. Um, and so it was a place that I always wanted to go back to. It was a place I always wanted to stay. I never wanted to leave there uh, because it was kind of the only place where I wasn't being like physically abused. Uh, and they showed me like a lot of love. And so um, when I turned eight, they that my great aunt and uncle officially adopted me and I got to stay there. Well, Although I wasn't being physically abused, I, I guess, I wouldn't say 100% because obviously uh, I did get slapped around a little bit and I did get smacked a few times and whatever, but I wasn't on the daily being physically abused. Um, I had a roof over my head. I had three meals a day. I had clean clothes. My house was clean. Um, you know, we had a big family. It was definitely a little bit different than the other places I had experienced. However, there was still a lot of, uh, I was the black sheep. I was kind of like, you know, not really accepted by my siblings in that family. I was looked at as, you know, um, an inconvenience and a problem. And, uh, so that family, my siblings in that family, took on a different level of abuse. It wasn't physical abuse. It was more mental and emotional. It was like, let's beat her up. Let's pick on her. Let's, um, you know, let's throw her in the water, even though she can't swim. And let's, let's, let's watch her struggle to get to the top. Um, let's have her babysit for us. Like, so we can go do our thing and like, she can miss out on life. And like, let's just take advantage of her and just show her that she's worthless and we don't give a shit about her and she's crap. Right. So it was a different, it was a kind of a different abuse, but yet still abuse. Right. And you're probably wondering like, holy hell, how does this play into like your sales and your business? And, and we're getting there. You're going to see how this correlates so well. Um, when I turned 20, um, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. When I was 16, my adopted father, my uncle, my great uncle, my adopted father had finally like his, his 10 year battle of lymphoma cancer, um, 
it finally, you know, ended. And about two years before he passed, um, I was about 16 and or about 14, 15. Um, and you know, my mother, my adopted mother had a bingo addiction. And so she was always going to bingo and didn't want him left alone at night. And because nobody else stepped in, I did, right? I was like, I'm not leaving him here alone. And so I was about 14, 15, uh, and staying home, taking care of a sick man who was very, very sick with cancer. I would listen to him dry heaving in the bathroom for hours. Uh, I would have an alarm clock set so that I could get up every two hours and bring him ice cold water and his medication because my mother was out like a light. Um, while she was at bingo, I would cook for him. I would feed him. I'd make his jello, his pudding. I would bring him cold water. I would check on him. Like I just became like the family nanny. I was just, if I wasn't keeping an eye on my father and I don't regret any of that, I do want to say that. But if I wasn't doing that, I was babysitting for one of the hundreds of, of kids, right? Like my, for my family members, I was babysitting kids, cleaning the house, cooking the meals, like just being completely used and taken advantage of and treated so poorly. And after about two years, when I was about 16, my father had passed away and, um, then my mother, my adopted mother, kind of lost her mind for a little while. And so I ended up taking care of her. And uh, she moved in with me. And, you know, I had got my own place. And I will say by own place, I mean, I moved from my mother's home that she had to sell because she lost my father and couldn't maintain it. We moved from there to straight to government housing, collecting food stamps. And that was, that was what I knew because we grew up extremely poor, extremely poor. And in my home, you know, you save your pennies for a rainy day. You work really hard to almost just to get by. Um, you know, we're cut from the cloth of like money doesn't come to us. Like we don't have money. Um, we're not like the other people that have money. And like there was a lot of money stress and lack of and a lot of poverty my entire life growing up. And so the natural thing that I knew was let me, let me apply for government housing. I want to get my own place. Um, you know, let me get on food stamps so I can, I can buy my own food. And that was normal. Like, that's what I knew. Like, that's what my mom said to do. Like, that was what we all did is how we all lived all my life. So it was very, very like natural, normal next step. And so after my father had passed away, um, we, you know, for a couple of years there, we went through a lot with my mother and like the house and all the siblings fighting over who gets what and like the house and my mom just couldn't keep up with it. So she, she had to go through the whole process of selling it. Finally, all of that happened and around 20 years old, uh, I found out I was pregnant, uh, with my son and we, I decided I need to get my own place now. And I took my mother with me because she could not live on her own. Um, I took her with me and so I was taking care of, I was a single mom, I was taking care of my son and I was taking care of my mother and there's never been a day where it's just been about me, right? It's just always been taking care of other people, putting myself on the back burner for other people, putting other people first, like that's just always been my life. That's been my DNA my whole life and I had my son and took care of my mom and fast forward you know five six eight or so years um you know four or five years later had my daughter 
um, and I met my now husband. And that was quite interesting because he came from a, a middle class, a very, very hardworking like family and DNA. It is in their bones. They work hard. Uh, they take that very seriously. It's very important to them. It's something they value and they work their way up corporate ladders. And like, that's just, that's a big, big part of their DNA. Well, here I am on welfare, collecting food stamps, living on government assistance with no job. And it was quite funny how him and I, uh, (laughs) just kind of came together because we were such from opposite sides of the world. Um, you know, he did have a, his parents did divorce in his family and, and he had that kind of uh, trauma a little bit there, but he wasn't abused. Um, he didn't, you know, <clears throat> Bob's from foster homes. Um, he didn't quite have the extent of trauma that I had, but he still had some with, you know, just his parents getting divorced and being at a really young age at that time. And so we both kind of came together and it was like, he was just like, wow, you need to get like a job. And, um, like, you got to, you know, like we should have a house, like a place to put some roots in the ground and like all this stuff. And coming from my background, there was a few DNA elements, I guess, that I carried. And one, a few of those were obviously very insecure. I was very, I lacked confidence. I didn't have any confidence at all. Not even like a 0%. I had none. I was very insecure and I had trust issues, obviously. And I also had a lot of um, just emotional mental trauma and OCD and PTSD. And I also just really felt like um, a lack of security. I really craved security, like almost a guaranteed, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be safe. I, I need to feel that. Like I need to have this level of guarantee and like confirmation I'm going to be secure. Like I'm going to have food. I'm going to have a roof over my head. I'm not going to be like kicked out, bounced around. And I carried that into relationships where I really had like all this insecurity and all this, like, I need to prove to you I'm worthy. I need to prove to you that I'm capable. I need you to love me and I need you to show me every second that you love me and you appreciate me and you cannot leave me and like we have to be in a place where it's like stable and I can have that guarantee that I'm going to have security. Like I never wanted to not feel a sense of control. I had really bad control issues and there's still a level I would say that I'm still working on that, right? Some of that, like But it's gotten obviously better through the work that I'm doing, but nowhere near where I want to be, right? It's like a forever work in progress. And finally, I really realized in just the relationship with my husband, like, I, you know, it was like, okay, his family has this beautiful home. They have these beautiful cars. They have these good jobs. They're making good money. Like, they're eating at restaurants. I was 18 years old and had never eaten at a restaurant in my life like literally had never eaten at a restaurant. That was not something we experienced as, as children growing up in any of the places I had been in. We didn't have money for that. We barely had enough to put food on the table. And in many of the foster homes, I went days without eating. So going to a restaurant to me was like five-star life. Like, and his family was doing these very normal things, right? Like they had homes that they owned. They had good careers and jobs. They made really good money. They had uh, great relationships. They had social life. They had, uh, they went out to eat. They had nice clothes. Like they did things for each other. It was just 
the opposite of anything I'd ever experienced. And I really admired it. And I would say that that was probably the first time in my life that I was like, I want that. Like, I want some of that. How do you get that? How do you do that? And this was around the time when I started to kind of explore the internet. And and I started going online like, okay, are there work at home jobs for moms? Like, I'm a mom. I don't trust anybody with my kid. I'm not going to let anyone watch my kid. I want to be home with him. There's my trust issues. Um, And so for me, it was like, how can I work at home so that I can be with my son? But I want to make money. I want to have those things. And I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't even know if that was possible. But I just like had this idea. Maybe. I was so curious. Like, could I have money? Could I maybe have a vehicle that's nice? Could I have like, wow, I can't even like imagine what it'd be like to have my own house. Like there's just these things, like even just going out to eat or just having nice clothes that were not from Goodwill. Like all these little things that I was just like curious about. That's all I was. I was just curious. And so, you know, I ended up, you know, to fast forward a little bit, getting some freelance jobs and that ended up growing into, it just naturally kind of led into my first VA, my first business. I had an agency Um, it was going amazing. I had, for the first time I was running a business, I was making money. Um, I had team, I had clients, like I was kind of figuring it out. And that was kind of the turning point for me. However, I noticed like in my business and in my sales, in my conversations, in my business, I noticed a lot of those subconscious beliefs, kind of like my DNA from my childhood trauma. I noticed a lot of that creeping into my business. There was this sense of I needed to be perfect. I needed to know all the answers like in advance. I had to cross my T's, dot my I's. I had to talk very confident, be very professional. I had to sound extremely smart. Um, I had to really show up as like, someone I wasn't in order for someone to pay me. And so when I first started my business, I didn't charge very much because I, one, I wasn't sure what to charge, but two, it's like, I, I did not really feel like I was worthy enough or had enough experience to be paid well. So you can already see some of my trauma, right? Coming in. And and so what I want to do is transition a little bit and wrap up here with some thoughts for you guys. And just some things for you to think about. Because as I've run my business over these past 20 years, and as I've worked with hundreds, and I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of clients across the globe, different niches, different categories, different DNAs, all the things. There's something that really I want is profound here. There's something that really correlates with your DNA in your sales. And if you think back, I I have clients who will come to me and be like, well, I think I'm going to charge this because, um, I I think I'm going to charge this. Do you think this is a good price? And I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. What, how did you come up with that number? I'm like, well, I just think like this is what people would pay. Okay. But, but why do you think that's what people, well, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience. I don't have like a lot of testimonials. I, I, I'm not, I can't guarantee a result. Like I, there's all this all of a sudden, all this internal perspective pours out. And I'm like, okay, so you didn't actually come up with this number through like market research or science or 
you didn't come up with this number because this is a number you feel amazing about. You came up with this number because your perception is that people don't have money and you're not worthy. And so you can't charge more. So you're going to charge lower because that means people will pay you. But if you charge more, they wouldn't pay you because you're not worthy. You're not capable. You're not smart enough. So actually the real problem isn't that the real problem with what you're charging isn't that other people aren't going to pay it or see it as worthy, pay worthy. It's that you don't. And this is where I started to really pull this together for myself as well. And what I want you guys to understand as you're listening to this, and again, this might be a much deeper conversation. What I want you to understand is you have certain, you have a certain DNA. You have beliefs and perspectives and opinions on what you see in the world as true. And so for you, you might think it's true that people don't have money, like to invest. You might think charging X amount of dollars is a lot. It's a lot. It's a huge investment. Maybe people can't afford it. What I want you to understand, and this is why your subconscious correlates with your sales, because just because it's something that you believe or it's something you've experienced or it's something you think is true for you doesn't actually make it reality. It doesn't actually make it true, which is why you'll see millions of other people who disagree with you and have a completely opposite experience where one person struggles to charge 500 because they think, oh my God, that's so much money. Nobody has $500. And the person next to you is charging $5,000 and is like, I think I need to raise my rates. This is worth so much more. And I have so many clients paying this so easily, I probably need to raise my rates. You look around and you see people charging hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you're struggling to sell something at 500. So is it true that 500 is a lot of money and that people don't have that kind of money and that's not pay worthy? Is that true? Or is it true that you think $500 is a lot and that you're not worthy of $500? That's the truth. It's always you. It's your own perception. It's not anybody else's, right? If you look around, there's plenty of people that don't think $500 is anything. And there's people dropping 50,000, 100,000, hundreds of thousands of dollars on things they see valuable, that they see as payworthy, because that's their perception. Your perception is whatever you're experiencing. So if you feel like X amount of dollars is a lot of money, that's not true. That's only your perception and your opinion. That's not true in the world. That's not true to everybody. And oftentimes what we do is we take these things about ourselves that we've been so, they've been engraved in our minds and in our bodies and that that we take those and we believe them to be so true that we go look for the evidence. We literally go look for people to prove to us that this is true by undercharging and having people say, oh, I don't have that kind of money. You're like, see, see, told you, nobody can afford it. Nobody has this kind of, I knew it. But the the reason you're attracting that is because that's what you believe and that's what you're saying and that's what you're thinking and feeling and that's what you're doing. If you change your perception, if you change your perception and you said something different, like, oh, I wonder what the, I wonder what the possibility would be if I doubled this price a little bit. I wonder how it'd feel to like, sell this for $1,000 instead of $500. If you just became more curious, which is something I teach with sales, is like just be always so skeptical and curious and never ever be 
like never bring, um, you know, in your sales and in your business, never bring uh, assumption, just always be so curious, like, like a little child, just have this curious mind of like, I wonder, Ooh, I wonder what that would be like. And just play, play and play and play with that. Because the more that you do that, you're going to start to attract more of that. As soon as I believed I was worth more than $500, I started charging and getting paid 1000 As soon as I believed $1,000 was undercharging and that my services were definitely worth $5,000, I started charging and getting paid $5,000. Um, as soon as I believed that I could be paid $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 from one client for one month, I started getting that. I started earning that. And it isn't that we don't have to do any work with this. You have to do a lot of inner work because you have to change your belief system. You're not magically going to be like, okay, fine, Ann said so, or my coach said, or this one is doing it. So let's go ahead and raise and double and triple our rates and we'll do it. But in the back end, you don't believe it for one second. You're going to get exactly what you believe. You're going to get exactly what you're aligned with and what you believe is going to happen. Whatever you believe is going to be is exactly what's going to be. And it doesn't matter what strategies you use. It doesn't matter how many hours you work. It doesn't matter how many boxes you check. Until you change the way that you believe something, that's the only way. As soon as you become aware that you're having these beliefs, you can begin to get the support so that you can start getting curious about something else, right? That is more aligned and more desirable, And until you do that work, it's never, ever going to change because nothing in our life is by chance. Nothing in your life is a coincidence. It is 100% you. It's your fault, your your thing, it's your stuff. It's 100% and it's also your control. It's 100% your attraction and your perception that is creating your reality. There's nothing outside of you that will ever change that. All of you who are seeking this sexy strategy that's the winning way, all of you that are like, what's that sexy trend? Give me the DMs. Give me the swipe copy. Give me the thing. Tell me the answer. You're asking the wrong things and you're never going to get what you want from that. You are not going to have success in your life or business because someone gave you an answer or gave you swipe copy. You have to work on your belief system because you're the creator of your experience. You can sit and continue to believe that they don't have money and they're not going to pay you and that doesn't work and this doesn't work and this always happens to me and I'm such a victim and it never works out and I can't spend money because then I, I don't have any money coming back and I never will have money so I can never spend money to get what I need. Like You're the creator of that until you stop saying that and you stop believing that and you get curious and try something else and go all in on yourself, then nothing in your situation is going to change. There's no strategy, swipe, copy, or coach that's going to change that for you. You've got to start doing that work to change your DNA and to change the things that you currently believe that you actually don't really believe and you also don't find desirable or aligned for you and they don't feel good but you're just stuck in those ways. You have to do the work to get yourself out of that so that that's not what you're thinking or believing anymore. And so you have to have a child's curiosity. You just gotta be super curious about everything and just be open to like, you know, you think about kids, they have no fear. They just plunge in headfirst to everything. They have no sense of fear. They have no worry about what's on the other side. They're willing to try anything and they're so curious, right? 
that's how you need to be in order to start reprogramming and changing some, creating new neural pathways and changing some of the beliefs that are not serving you and they don't feel good. If you don't love your experience, it's you. It's not anybody else. It's you. It is, it's you a thousand percent. If you don't love your experience, you have to change it. And it starts with you because you created the experience that you're in and you're going to have to create the new experience you want to move into. No one can do this for you. And so I think it is really important. And this is why your DNA and your subconscious, it falls so much. It correlates hundred percent with your sales because whatever you think going into your business, whatever you think when you write copy, whatever you think when you create a program, whatever you think when you sell a program, whatever you think when you're having a conversation with somebody, whatever you think and feel when someone gives you an objection, you are creating it. You're getting those objections because what they're saying is exactly what you believe. It's exactly what you believe. If they're telling you they can't afford it, you're like, yep, there's the proof. I knew it. People can't afford it. Right? If they're telling you, oh, that's just too much, You're like, yep, see, I'm charging too much. I knew it. There's the proof. If they're telling you, you know, I'm just so busy right now. I just don't have time for this. You're like, yep, see, I'm not worthy. Nobody has time for me. They don't see this as important. I suck at this. You are creating that. And until you stop it and you change that, you're not going to have a different experience. It's always you. Every single result or lack thereof or experience you're having in your life right now, good, bad, right, wrong, ugly, is you. It is all you. And so I really will keep this conversation going, but I want you to understand this game of life and game of business. It's all you. It's all you. Every time you hear something, every time you feel something, every time you experience something, I want you to ask yourself, how am I creating that? How did I attract that? How did I come to that conclusion? What, how, how am I creating this experience in my life right now? How am I attracting this? And if you don't start getting curious and digging down in, into that and going there and asking yourself the right questions, it's not, what is the next thing? What is the strategy? What's the cheat sheet? That is not the questions you need to be asking yourself. You need to be asking yourself, how did I attract this? And that's the real work. All right, guys, we will continue this massively important conversation. I want you to do a little exercise on this, and I want you to kind of pin out some things that are coming up for you, and I want you to dig a little bit and ask yourself, how am I attracting this, right? How am I attracting this into my life? Um, and, and then from there, only from there, can you begin to come up with other things and other ways to change that. Thanks for listening to the Confident Closer podcast. If you loved this episode, we release episodes each and every week. So make sure to hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you're a female coach, service provider, or consultant looking to elevate your sales and leverage your time more efficiently, we are currently accepting applications into our Profitable Entrepreneur Mastermind. In the Profitable Entrepreneur Mastermind, we're putting you in the room with other high-achieving coaches who are scaling 
on their income and impact and leveraging their CEO time so they can have a business and life they love without the hustle and sacrifice we all know as normal. We focus on scaling, sustainable, and highly profitable group programs, your conversion and launch strategy, a repeatable sales pipeline, and scaling with profit-driving sellers so you can get your time back. If simplifying your scale, putting more profit in your pocket, and getting your time back while creating a bigger impact in the world is on your radar this year, send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and let's see if the Profitable Entrepreneur could be your next best investment. And I hope to see you on the inside. Mm -hmm.